0: Chapter 9, The Value of Techniques Communists have a deserved reputation for being good propagandists. Again, this does not just happen. It grows out of their whole approach to techniques. It reflects the attitude of mind of this group of people who believe that they have got what the world needs and so have a responsibility to pass it on. Typically, they do not leave it at that. They set about trying to pass it on as efficiently and as effectively as they can. In trying to gain acceptance of their ideas, they meet with a public reaction with which many others are also familiar. People say, well, of course, they can talk all right, but do they do anything So they set out to demonstrate that they not only talk, but act as well. This naturally makes their propaganda more acceptable to those who become aware of this. Too often, in my experience, Christians give the impression that they talk, that maybe they have all the right answers too, but then too often do not follow through by putting these into action. A Christian will believe that communists have the wrong answers, but he will certainly have to acknowledge that they try to put them into practice. The party know from experience that people tend to be influenced by the mere fact that communists are not just talking but are doing something, and then go on to accept the thought that they are probably accomplishing something too. Communists try to prove to the public that they care about them as people. Anti-communist propaganda has built up the idea that communists care only about power. In the newly developing areas in particular, they have combated this idea so successfully that there are large numbers of people living in vitally important areas today who, whilst not accepting communist beliefs or whilst knowing little or nothing about communist teachings, still believe with absolute conviction that, quote, only the communists care, end quote. This is a reflection on Christians and others. It is also a striking tribute to the effectiveness of communist propaganda. America has contributed immensely more to the development of underdeveloped countries than has the Soviet Union. Christians have done more for those who suffer from poverty and disease than have the communists. Yet people at the receiving end can still repeat what seems to them to be the self-evident fact that only the communists care. This has not been achieved simply on the basis of pouring out more spoken and written words than have come from the rest of the world. Where the communist work has been at its very best, they have given a great deal of thought to the various means by which the public can be convinced. The anti-communist propagandists are wrong when they describe the communists as mere word mongers. In various parts of Asia in recent years... When Communist Party Congresses, which bring together all the national and local leaders, have been called, these have been seen as so many opportunities for demonstrating to the public that communists believe in action on behalf of the people. The Congress meets, not in some big city, which can provide the sort of hotel and accommodation normally provided for American conventions or British trade union conferences, but in some remote place One of the greatest needs of areas which are trying to develop is roads, the means of linking isolated villages with highways and with the outside world. Only when a local community is linked up in this way is it likely to begin to advance and to leave behind a pattern of life which may have been unchanged for centuries. Precisely such areas have, on a number of occasions, been deliberately chosen by Asian communist parties as Congress meeting places. Delegates are called together a week before their deliberations are due to begin. During the seven days preceding the opening of the conference, the delegates, top leaders and all, work together to build a road which will link the local community to the nearest highway. This ensures that the people will never forget that it was when the communists came that their development, their possibilities for a better life, began. Any anti-communist propaganda who goes to them and tells them that communists only talk is likely to find an unreceptive audience. Political parties today are very much concerned about creating an image which they hope will be acceptable to the public. Public relations experts and advertising agencies are brought in for the purpose. It is all rather artificial, this attempt to create by slick publicity methods an image which does not necessarily have much relation to the actual performance past, present, or potential of the party concerned. Sooner or later, the public must sense this. But when the communists set out to create an image by the means I have just described— This looks genuine and convincing. It is certainly likely to achieve more among an unsophisticated public than all the costly publicity methods of the communists' opponents. This does not mean that the communists reject the modern propaganda methods. They try to use them and adapt to them just as effectively and imaginatively as they can. Printed Propaganda When I was working on the Daily Worker, the paper was both banned and bombed. As a consequence, our staff was dispersed. There was a war on, and so some were directed into industry, more into the armed forces, from which, incidentally, most of them emerged in due course as officers. Then, after Russia had been brought into the war, the ban was lifted. Quite suddenly, the one or two of us who were left had to get together a new staff. There was little opportunity to pick and choose, but one thing was essential. That was that they should be intelligent and politically sound. They must be good communists. The new staff consisted of a furrier, engineers, housewives, anyone but trained journalists, who at that moment were simply unattainable. We had to train in journalism, this mixed group, just as quickly as possible. Our aim was to produce a paper which was competing directly with the best that the millionaire press could produce. Therefore, they had to be turned into top-grade newspaper people. In addition, we had to make them into good communist journalists, people who would use journalism in order to aid the communist cause. When I briefed my staff before the first issue of the new paper was produced, I reminded them that Lenin had said that the whole art of communist journalism is to get profound ideas across in simple language. It was something which I never ceased to hammer away at, for the easiest thing for someone who is writing for a cause is to become turgid, doctrinaire, and unreadable. Admittedly, this is precisely how much of what the communists produce their own members appears to the outsider. But in this case, those responsible for it are writing for the initiated, the well-instructed members who already know the jargon, and every specialized branch of knowledge has its own jargon. But in their propaganda to the non-communists, the success of the communist journalists and writers may be judged by their ability to get profound ideas across in simple language, They themselves would say that the test of whether they really understand their Marxism lies in whether they are able to convey it to others in simple terms. These were the principles which we had learned from Lenin, and which guided us as we restarted the daily worker. I might mention in passing, that within a very short time it was judged to be the best news-edited tabloid of the year and received an award as such in direct competition with the millionaire capitalist press. Each member of my reporting staff was encouraged to begin his day with a quick reading of the rest of the press. In particular, he was expected to see his opposite numbers on the other papers as direct rivals and compare their stories with his own. As he judged whether he or they had done a better job, he had to apply to himself a double test. Firstly, his story must be as well written, easily understood, and well informed as the best in the capitalist papers. Secondly, it must, if at all possible, have provided the daily worker reader with a Marxist interpretation of the situation or a communist guide to action. A communist paper, said Lenin, must be an educator, an agitator, and an organizer for communism. Around his paper, Iskra, the spark, he built up the Bolshevik party, prepared the way for the revolution, and set fire to one sixth of the world. We set out to make our paper an educator, agitator, and organizer for communism, too. It is worth noting in passing that new communist parties are being organized all over Black Africa today around a tiny quarterly called the African Communist in the best Leninist tradition. All over the newly developed areas, the communists have succeeded in spreading their basic ideas in the simple language of the people. Often, these have spontaneously spread so widely that it is impossible to trace them directly to the communists. They have launched them on the world, and others have taken them up. For example, when I was touring northern and southern Rhodesia some time ago, frequently speaking to exclusively African audiences in African townships, at public meetings in colleges, schools, and seminaries, I found that Africans there had almost universally accepted two simple but false propositions. First, that Russia is the big brother who helps poor, struggling, colonial peoples to achieve their freedom, and that when they have achieved their freedom, Russia and the other communist countries provide aid without strings. No communist party as such existed in the Federation, as it then was at the time. A Marxist study group was just beginning to meet in northern Rhodesia, but was still too small and new to be able to claim the responsibility for such a widely held point of view yet even before the communists had moved in these ideas so useful as part of the softening up process had already gained credence among the majority of the african population They had reached them by means of many different types of people through a variety of different channels. In some cases, the ideas had been brought by people who had visited the headquarters of the Afro-Asian Solidarity Organization in Cairo. It is likely that nationalist leaders who had been to Pan-African conferences had picked them up too. Some had been put into circulation by Chinese and Russian radio. One can find much the same situation in Asia and Latin America. It is a tribute to the effectiveness of the communists' propaganda. Anyone concerned either with counter-propaganda or with trying to get our own positive ideas across would do well to study the communists' methods in a mood of humility. There is much to be learned from them. Some of what has still to be learned by the West may appear to be almost absurdly simple and elementary, but it is important nonetheless. For example, never to use a long word where a short one will serve equally well, never to write with the idea of proving one's own erudition, but rather in order to ensure that one's ideas shall be made as understandable to the reader as possible. Anyone engaged in trying to get ideas across And who study the communists' methods will quickly see that they have learned to use the simplest terms, particularly when they are trying to reach simple people. They adapt what they have to teach to the particular audience. This is something which the West has been slow to learn. The answer to communism, which sounds completely convincing to a group of highly educated people from a sophisticated background employed in an office in Washington, D.C. or in London, will not necessarily sound convincing to the man in the African township or the Asian Kampong. Lenin had good reason to know that simple ideas can send unsophisticated people into action. They may seem elementary, almost laughably so, to others, yet simple men will die for them. One recalls the story told by a journalist who was in Petrograd at the time of the Bolshevik Revolution. The counter-revolution was just beginning. Somewhere out beyond the outskirts of the city, gunfire could be heard. The journalist, deciding that he should be on the spot to get his story, asked people to direct him to the front. It took him a long time to find anyone who had any idea where it was. Then he saw a truckload of peasants bumping across a frozen plowed field. They told him that they were going to try to find the front so that they could join in the fighting in defense of the revolution. They invited him to accompany them. He clambered up into the truck and found that they were sitting on a rolling cargo of hand grenades. Journalist fashion, he started to interview them. He reminded them, although they needed no reminding, that they were probably going to die. They accepted this was obviously the case. He asked them what they were going to die for. He put his question to one after the other. And, one after the other, they fumbled for their words. Too illiterate, too inarticulate, after generations of serfdom, to be able to put into words what they wanted to say. At last he found one who haltingly explained, You see, comrade, he said, all through history... There have been two classes, the rich and the poor, and the poor have always been trodden down by the rich. We are poor. We belong to the class which has always been exploited. Now, at last, the poor are coming into their own and are going to build a society in which there will be no more poverty. That is what we are prepared to die for. It is for such simple ideas that men will die. Not one of those peasants could have explained even the rudiments of dialectical materialism. In all probability, none had ever heard of it. The name of Lenin, as the champion of the poor, was known to them, but they were illiterate and so had never read his writings. But Lenin and his fellow Bolsheviks had succeeded in reducing their message to a simple proposition for simple people. In so doing, they made a major contribution to the victory of the revolution. For revolutions, no matter whether they are bloody communist ones or peaceful Christian ones, are made by simple people, even though they may not be led by intellectuals. If a communist who is put on to propaganda work has been a good communist, he will already be close to the people. He will know their language, the way they think, the way they express their ideas. It is therefore easy for them to do his propaganda in their language, to know what will get through to them, the common man, and what will not. The spokesmen for the non-communist world too often are remote from the minds and lives of those to whom they wish to convey ideas. The communists would say that if your propaganda is to succeed, then you cannot live sealed off from the world. You must identify yourself with those amongst whom you wish to do your propaganda. The burden is on you. You have to find a way to get your ideas to them. If they are not receptive, it is not good blaming them. It is because you have not found a way to make them receptive. You will only do this if you understand how their minds work, and if you make what is meaningful to them immensely meaningful to yourself. Stalin once wrote, I think the Bolsheviks remind us of the hero of Greek mythology, Antaeus. They, like Antaeus, are strong because they maintain connection with their mother, the masses, who give birth to them, suckling them and rearing them. And as long as they maintain connection with their mother, with the people, they have every chance of remaining invincible. That is the clue to the invincibility of Bolshevik leadership. Or, as the history of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union puts it, A party perishes if it shuts itself up in its narrow party shell, if it severs itself from the masses. I recall a conversation I once had with a priest in Korea who was deploring the fact that, although at least educated Koreans were beginning to come to what had previously been exclusively the Church of the Poor, there was no literature to be offered them in their own language. The best available were a dozen or so poorly translated and excessively sugary, pious books and pamphlets, most of them lives of saints. There was nothing to appeal to the intellectual in his own tongue. The priest went on to explain that it was big face for a Korean writer to sprinkle quotations from the Chinese classics liberally throughout his writings in order to prove his own erudition. The trouble was that this made what he wrote just about as meaningful to the average reader as would be a British tabloid paper filled with Greek or Latin quotations. And so, time after time, the Catholic authorities had rejected the literary efforts of their own Korean writers. We simply cannot get them to write in the simple language of the people, he said. I asked him if this was a characteristic of all Koreans. To this he replied, I would have to say so until the communists came in from North Korea and flooded the country with pamphlets and leaflets which were written in the language of the people. There was no quotations from classical Chinese in them. They found the means of getting their ideas across in simple language whilst our own people were still preoccupied with big face, which is a form of pride. The communists were not concerned about making a big impression. Their concern was to spread communism. The principle that the communist must be the best man at his job, pays rich dividends with the printed world. It is not a coincidence that some of the best color printing in the world comes from communist China and East Germany. When the communist countries want to pump their propaganda into literary hungry areas, where there is an undiscriminating public, they will be most concerned about getting simple ideas over in simple language rather than with the quality of the paper on which they are printed or with the artistic merits of the type and layout. But when they are directing the printed word to a public which can appreciate something good, they aim to make it the best. It was this approach to propaganda that the communists of Italy brought to their tremendous poster campaigns, which were such a feature of the Italian elections in the first post-war years. Some of the posters were amongst the best produced anywhere. There was something for everyone. They were aimed at every level. Catholics saw this as a challenge. The civic committees under the wing of Catholic action produced first-rate posters as well. To them, the 1948 elections were of decisive importance, and so they virtually threw aside all pretense at being non-political. They brought the same approach to the poster campaign, As did the communists. They found the very best amongst Catholics employed in press and publicity, poster artists, commercial artists, journalists, publicists, and advertising experts. The communists would go to a city and plaster every wall with wonderfully ingenious, often wickedly satirical, posters. Within a few hours, the local civic committee members were going around pasting up others, which either directly debunked those of the communists or provided an answer to them. They were careful to see that they were just as good in design, just as imaginative, just as amusing, just as devastating. Poster for poster, they were as good as the communists' best. This contest captured the imagination of the Italian public and the world's press too, who called it the, quote, battle of the posters, end quote. It played a significant part in winning those decisive elections and keeping communism at bay. But this is exceptional. Too often, if and when a reply to the communist propaganda comes from a non-communist, it has a look of being inferior to theirs. Films and Discs Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have an aside here. This is a very outdated section. Um, so, just try to transpose this to uh, YouTube videos and rumble videos. The communists bring the same approach to the making of films. Every little mission congregation, every little religious order wants to have its film today. Too often is felt to be an exceptional achievement to have produced a film at all, and the results make this painfully apparent. The most faithful of the Order's followers go along to see the film despite its inferiority. But because it is substandard, it is unlikely to reach out beyond the converted to the unconverted. In other words, it fails in what is, presumably, its true purpose. I can remember going at the end of a hunger march in the early 1930s to see a film put on by the Communist Party. The film we were shown was Einstein's Battleship Potemkin. It had been reduced to 16 millimeter, but it was still superb. Its powerful revolutionary propaganda got across. The then-recent Invergordon mutiny of a section of the British fleet, in which communists played a leading role, gave it topicality. The mutiny of the Russian sailors of the battleship Potemkin had a message for an audience which was already in conflict with the establishment, but the message got home immensely more powerfully and vividly because of the techniques which Einstein had employed, because it came as near to technical perfection as was possible at that time. The propaganda need not necessarily be direct. It need not be obvious propaganda at all in order to be effective. One of the most successful pieces of atheist communist propaganda I have ever seen was a nature film, not a political one. Those who made it resisted the temptation either to put any politics into it or to include a single word of open propaganda. The camera work was excellent. The colors convincing. The film had been made in rural Hungary. First, you went hunting with a polecat. You followed it into a rabbit hole and saw it kill baby rabbits whilst their mother, in a simple sequence shot full of natural tension and drama, tried to defend them. You followed the little beast of prey as it went from one bird's nest to the next, driving off parent birds and sucking their eggs or killing their young. Next, you hunted with an eagle high in the sky. Again, the photography was breathtakingly good and well-nigh inexplicable to the layman. With the eagle, you hovered over some smaller bird, then swept down with it to the kill. And all the time, the scenery below was magnificent. Finally, by means of underwater photography, you hunted with fishes. You saw big fish swallowing innumerable smaller ones or, without waiting for them to begin life, devouring the fish's eggs even as they were laid by the female. That was all. That was the film. It was, I repeat, the best communist atheist propaganda film I ever saw. One could imagine what happened as it was taken around from one Hungarian village hall to the next. Everyone would go to see it. Here was something that was close to the lives of the country people, of people who work on the soil, for whom birds, animals, and fish are part of their lives. This was their language, their world. The peasants who saw the film would surely marvel at what they were shown. Then, on the following day, on the collective farm or the cooperative, Communist amongst them would ask if they had been at the village hall last night to see the nature film, and what did they think of it? When he had got general assent as to its excellence and its interest, he would follow through with, I will tell you what worried me afterwards. When I got back home and thought about it, did you notice that the polecat, the eagle, and even the fish live by killing others? There was no way in which they could survive since this is the way they are made. Of course, that is what the world is like. Now, you and you and you who are Catholics, tell me how a God of love could make a world like that. And how do you explain this to yourself? The average peasant would certainly have great difficulty in finding the answers. So would a great many other people besides. And that was all that was needed to sow the seeds of doubt. It was, I repeat, a superbly done piece of propaganda. It was good technically, close to the lives of the people it spoke in their language. Then, provided that a communist came with the correct follow-through, its effect could be Deadly. Once, some years ago, when I was in South Vietnam, I had intended to buy some gramophone records of genuine Vietnamese folk music to add to my collection. As it worked out, I had to leave Saigon in a hurry, and before any records could be bought. Sometime later, I was in Paris, where some Vietnamese friends were my hosts. I told them of my disappointment not having been able to get the records I had wanted when I was in their country. They informed me that it was possible to get such discs in Paris. A great many French soldiers had fought in Indochina. These provided a natural market for them, and, in addition, thousands of Vietnamese students lived in and around Paris, too. They said that they would take me to a music shop where I could get what I wanted. I reminded them that the type of record I required must be authentic. I wanted nothing of what had been jazzed up for a French public. The instruments, the music, and the voices must be the genuine article. We went together to a music store where my assistant produced a pile of perhaps one dozen records. My host, after rejecting one after the other from the large pile, took just one that satisfied him. This one, he said is the only one which is authentic i took it and then when he had left the shop i asked why was this the only one which was worth buying my host confirmed with me that i did not understand the vietnamese language then he explained that all the rest had been americanized or westernized this of all the pile "'was the only one which met my requirements. "'There was just one way in which it was not authentic, "'but since I did not understand Vietnamese, this would not matter. "'Technically, it was perfect. "'Whereas the others came from South Vietnam, "'this came from the Communist North. "'The words were Communist propaganda. "'And so,' he explained, When Vietnamese students sat around relaxing together on a Saturday night, dreaming and talking of home in a nostalgic, receptive mood, this was the record, the only authentic one, which they played over and over again. And as a consequence, for the following week, they were likely to go around singing its revolutionary words to themselves. The communists' message would be going continuously through their minds. That is good propaganda. But why blame the communists for their cunning, whilst we degrade a people's culture, insult their national feelings, and offer them the second best, which we have already conditioned our own public to accept? Many people in the underdeveloped countries resent the way in which their local cultures are being thus degraded by Americanization and Europeanization. They deplore the sight of their own youngsters responding to that same process as is made manifest in their clothes, their speech, their taste for a jukebox culture, which is just about all they know of our vaunted Western way of life. One of the first acts of the new left-wing government when Singapore was given self-government was to start an all-out attack upon yellow culture, degraded Western culture. The near-pornographic Hollywood posters were taken down from the hoardings at the side of the streets, The films they advertised were banished, and pulp literature from the West, paperbacks with lurid covers, were banned from the bookstalls. The brothels were closed. New and stricter regulations were enforced in the hotels. One Chinese Singaporean pagan put it searingly and unforgettably. We had to clean up the mess the Christians left behind. Hollywood is part of a free enterprise society, part of a price we pay for it. Pulp literature, it seems, is part of the cost of democratic freedom, too. But they are bad propaganda, and, understandably, this is something upon which the communists have seized, but they also know what is good propaganda. When the communist is trained in public speaking, he is told always to keep close to the lives of the people and the examples and antidotes he uses. Each time he makes a theoretical point, he should illuminate it with a story from the fields, the workshops, or the streets from the working life and interests of the masses in the communist party's early days their propaganda was what they now describe as sectarian in other words they did not care whom they offended they made no effort to make their ideas acceptable to others marxism is in fact conflict with every other philosophy every other point of view And the communist propagandist went into battle every time he mounted the platform. He attacked the beliefs of his hearers, ridiculed their religion, told them that they were spoon-fed and dumb. That way, he made enemies, not friends. Had the communists continued along that course, they would have remained a small, unsuccessful group of plotters and no more. As time went on, however, they learned that a more subtle approach was required This realization came under the impact of the devastating defeat of the immensely powerful German Communist Party and the triumph of its arch-enemy, Hitler. From that moment, the communists of the non-communist world realized that they could not afford to go on making enemies quite unnecessarily. What they needed was allies. They needed friends, and to increase their numbers, too. And so, since then, They have evolved a technique which is just the opposite of the earlier one. Instead of setting out to prove that the other man is wrong, they seek to find a point of contact with his mind, then try to extend the area of sympathetic interest and agreement just as far as is possible. There is no question of non-communists being able to use the deceits employed by the communists in their propaganda and in their relations to others. We don't want to deceive people the way communists do. But here is a perfectly good technique. There is nothing immoral in it. There is nothing that others may not copy. There is no reason we shouldn't seek to find a point of contact, and, to the best of our abilities, forge alliances. It is, in the majority of cases, the element of truth, no matter how small it may be, which makes it possible for the communists to get acceptance for their point of view. There may only be a grain of truth in a bushel of falsehoods, but it is that which they will use in order to get their ideas across. But consider the implications of this. If it is the smallest element of truth in communist propaganda which makes it acceptable, then those who believe they have the truth have an immense advantage over the communists. They need only improve their own methods of presentation, their own mastery of techniques, their own attempt to bring theory and practice together in their own lives, to gain acceptance for it. There are Christians who sneer at the communists because they have to exploit the little bit of truth they have, whilst the Christians have the whole they might do better to ask themselves why with truth on their side they have nonetheless so often failed where the communists have succeeded and in areas which are in the last analysis far more the legitimate province of the christian than of the communist all this activity the communist believes must be backed up with the right form of organization the party's organization as is well known is based upon small groups or cells these are basic units Through them, the party does its work at grassroots level. Or, to change the metaphor, they are communism's cutting edge. It will be seen, therefore, that this form of organization is of great importance to the party. Much has been written about communist cells by people who appear to have little idea of how they work. For example, it is often said that every communist belongs to a cell. This, in a limited sense, is true. But the fact is that a communist may, and most do, Belong to many cells because he is an organized communist the whole of the time, and his various interests will probably make him into many diverse organizations in every one of which he will be organized. Consider a hypothetical case. A communist, shall we say, works in a factory. He is also a member of his appropriate trade union. He has a peculiar interest in the culture of one of the communist countries, and he has an interest in music when he has time to indulge in it. In the first place, he will be a member of the local party branch, which is based upon the neighborhood in which he lives. If the branch is of any size, he will be put into a street or area cell, one of many which will make up the local branch. It is a principle of communist organization that whenever you have Three or more communists, there you have a communist cell. They are expected to work together in this organized way in the interests of communism. If, therefore, in the factory in which he is employed, there are three or more communist party members, he will belong to his factory cell, if the party is strong within the factory and there are three or more members working in his particular department or workshop, he will then be a member of the departmental or workshop cell. It goes almost without saying, communists being what they are, that if he goes to work in a factory or in a department where there is only one other communist, then together these two will aim as quickly as possible to make a convert so that they may form a cell and so begin organized communist party activity. Before he leaves for home, there will normally be a quick meeting of his cell where the success and failures of the day are discussed. He belongs to his appropriate trade union, and if, in his local branch, there are two or more communists besides himself, they too will function as a cell within that union branch. Together they will plan their work within it. In advance of branch meetings, they will go through the agenda, deciding which resolutions they are going to support, which oppose, and which they will initiate. They will draw up Resolutions in advance decide which members of the cell shall move them or, more ideally, which non-communist can most easily be persuaded to move the resolution for them. When elections to responsible positions in the branch are pending, they will decide in advance whom they will try to get elected and who must be replaced. This organized activity brings them returns, as many a trade union has discovered. If our party member accepts responsibility in his union at a local level, he will almost certainly do the job to the best of his ability, and as a consequence, his promotion to some higher level of the organization may be suggested by some well-intentioned non-communist or alternatively be engineered by the branch itself. Thus, he moves on to the area district, or divisional committee of his union. If there are three communists on that, they will function in a communist cell, just as in the lower units of the union. His interest in the culture of one of the communist countries takes him into an organization which exists for promoting friendship with and interest in just that country. Quite possibly the majority of its members are non-communists, but If there is the required number of party members amongst the organization's members, and in this case there will almost certainly be many amongst them, there will be the inevitable organized cell of which, again, he will be a member. His interest in music may take him into a folk song group, a gramophone society an orchestra. Here, too, the same principle applies. becomes an organized communist within it, trying to do a job for the cause. This does not make his interest in music any less real. It just adds extra point and purpose. If he is stupid, he will do a crude propaganda inside the music society, forever demanding that more and more Soviet music be played. More probably, he will be one of the keenest members of the organization who comes up most frequently with good ideas, impresses others with the breadth of his musical interest But out of the personal relationships, he establishes some opportunity for the spread of the communist ideas, maybe even for making converts to the cause. If ever, incidentally, the communist party should be banned and is therefore driven underground, this last cell may become, for the time being, the most important to which he belongs. This, quite obviously, is a form of organization which only a few non-communist bodies could or even would want to imitate it is the organization of an elite suitable for a body of determined activists with well-defined aims a single mind and purpose but and this is typical of so much of those aspects of the life of the communist party which we have examined it is the attitude the approach to the cause which is of greatest significance may most profitably be imitated the communist is a communist the whole of the time by his life and example he challenges the christian to become integrated and to be a christian the whole of the time an oft-told story concerns general booth founder of the salvation army who when asked why it was that the army set its hymns to a popular current tune replied i see no reason why the devil should have all the best tunes There would appear to be no reason why the devil should be allowed to have all the best techniques either. Dedication and leadership. Dedication and leadership. I'm here with Dan Heed. How you doing, Dan?
1: I'm all right. I don't know why my voice sounded like that.
0: Chapter nine. Chapter nine. Communists have a deserved reputation for being good propagandists. Again, this does not just happen. It grows out of their whole approach to techniques. It reflects the attitude of mind of this group of people who believe that they have got what the world needs and so have a responsibility to pass it on. Typically, they do not leave it at that. They set about trying to pass it on as efficiently and effectively as they can. In trying to gain acceptance of their ideas. They meet with a public reaction with which many others are also familiar. People say, well, of course they can talk. All right. But do they do anything? So they set out to demonstrate that they not only talk, but act as well. So, referencing the campaigns, they clearly campaign. That's, you recognize a need, you you recognize something busted, and then you go out there and do something about it. Mm You take action, a bias towards action. This is something I wanna talk about. It's probably one of the things that I had the hardest time with, and we've brought it up a lot, We talked about it extensively in the Hopkins essay. But there is something, there is a truth here that uh, we have to agree on, which is that God doesn't demand perfection and success. He demands obedience. Agreed. And in this Christianity, in the strangest twist of, of logical dissonance and theological laziness, they argue that if you fail, it's not God's will. Like, oh, that wasn't God's will. Instead of, okay, you failed, now get up and try again. Get up and try again. And there is an entire, entire theology behind this. But there's also an understanding when you go talk to people who have actually succeeded at running any campaigns, they say, what? you saw the time that I succeeded, you didn't see the 999,000 times I failed on the way there. hmm And, uh, when I interact with people who, uh, who consciously assent to this being true, right, that failure is not a stigma. Um, it's not evidence of God's lack of favor, right, But instead, it is uh, just, hey, power is guarded by problems, so solve the problems. and you're gonna fail as you as you go, you have to grow. You don't just arrive. Mm-hmm. The hero's journey applies to Christianity. It's hardwired into God's creation. There is a beauty in it. The beauty of the story is overcoming.
1: And so you feel that a lot of Christians try a thing, have it go badly, and then they say, well, God, you know, God's not moving there. or God's not in it. There's sin in the camp. We need to stop what we're doing. We need to find out who is the who the traitor or the Jonah is, mm-hmm. expel them, and then once then that is done. That.
0: Or the other is that, well, I really missed that. This, And then they, they introspect and they say, well, this was just all about my vanity. It's not about Christ and that's why I failed. Uh-huh. That's another one I like to hear a lot. But I was trained to look for the perfect mechanism.
1: Uh-huh, the perfect technique. The perfect technique. And that
0: it's the perfect technique or the perfect mechanism or the perfect means to an end, the perfect machine that we get up and running, the perfect program. That is what is going to guarantee our success. So we have to fix our program in order to achieve the success.
1: And so people will come along and they'll see you doing a thing and then they'll say, well, you know, and this will be despite the fact that you're gaining ground and making gains, uh-huh. they'll say well, your technique is flawed. You need to fix this and this and that, which may or may not be true, but what they always say is you need to stop what you're doing and go back, and then you need to do it X, Y, Z. Yeah. And you say, and sometimes rightly and sometimes wrongly, you say, I can't stop. If we stop, we lose all this momentum. We have to keep going because this is where the Lord is working and this is the gains that we're getting.
0: And then as these men and women are being trained to basically study all day and never execute. They lose the capacity to imagine the action itself. So they live forever in, in a fantasy that things are going to magically work out and come together. And then they'll be able to step into that perfect moment and, and, and do the karate kid kick and just destroy their enemy with their magic kick. And it's like, no, that's not how this is going to go. You're going to, You're going to get in a a ring and then you're going to fight to the death and it's going to be messy and absurd and it's not going to be beautiful. And this is the thing that I've tried to explain when I I give a testimony, if you like, is Mm -hmm. that there was a point in my life where I was stuck because I was looking for the perfect methodology, if you like. I was looking for the perfect mechanism. Mm -hmm. Show me the 12 steps that I have to do. And then I'll do those 12 steps, and then I'll get success. But Uh if I don't know the 12 steps, then I cannot do it.
1: Yeah, I I can't move until I know how to do it. When I first started evangelizing, I did it in the passion of youth and in the exuberance, and you could even say the ignorance of youth. And as I grew older, I went through a a phase where I was horribly embarrassed with the outright heresy that I had inadvertently taught. (laughs) And as I tried to perfect my theology and discuss perfectly who God is. And there was a point when I refused to say anything that wasn't perfectly accurate of who God is. And so that made me completely ineffective and inactive because, spoiler alert, there's no theologian on the earth who can accurately represent all that God is. You cannot do it. And so you you could... <laughs> well, God is omniscient, all-powerful, and everywhere present, and he's all good. Okay, cool. And you can define those terms, but you cannot bring a God who is transcendent of all of our dimensions into our understanding. He is beyond our understanding. And so, in trying to explain what God is like, you cannot avoid heresy. And this is something I was explaining to my wife because we have a four-year-old who asks questions. And <laughs> we have to explain resurrection, and we have to explain imputed righteousness versus the, the depravity of man. We have to explain these concepts to my four-year-old, and we cannot help but slide into heresy for the sake of her understanding. And that, and so we have a conversation about this, and this will come in later in Dedication and Leadership. We sacrifice the greater precision for the benefit of her understanding. As she gets older, we'll be able to develop that a little bit more. And we said, okay, now you, you know how we said that God is like time, you know, past, present and future. Okay, now you have to understand that that is inaccurate. So my point with this is I grew disgusted with my own disgust of myself. And I realized, yes, I did preach some heresy when I was first on the scene and that's okay. And I actually had to explain to my wife, a little bit of heresy preaching, though this is going to drive away our only two remaining listeners, but Uh some heresy is okay if it is not a blatant and deliberate heresy, because that's actually one of the really cool things about the grace of Jesus Christ. We get to, as imperfect, unholy, sinful beings, approach a holy God and have communion, and the only way that that works is through the blood and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So, in our imperfect understanding, we are going to inadvertently preach heresy, what we cannot do is preach what is counter to what the Bible says, and that is blasphemy, and that is actually driving into what might be an unforgivable sin, (laughs) blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So you can use an imperfect technique. That's actually okay. It's not ideal, and the whole point of uh, the last chapter, criticism, is as you move forward, as you gain ground, you ought to be evaluating yourself and improving your technique.
0: And this this brings me to the issue of qualification. So, <laughs> yeah, there are a few things that we kind of need to cross examine. In my testimony, there were a few things that were holding me back. Insecurity bred by listening to the voices of well-meaning people who come along and say terrible things. Yeah, and the terrible things that they say are things like, "Did you run that through counsel?" <laughs> Another one that I like that is, or dislike is, "You don't know how to do that." And if you do it badly, you've blown your opportunity. Yes, somebody should do that. But if you do it badly when you start, then that window's closed now. You really, you really just ruined it all. And now it's going to take you 10 times longer to build back better, as it were.
1: The one that I heard a lot was, show me in the Bible where it says that you should be doing this. <laughs> yeah. And I would just blink at them in, in comprehension almost. Show me in the Bible where watching TV is okay, mm. or driving a car, or wearing a polyester shirt.
0: And that's you know, there's a lot of scripture that is taken out of context, getting bogged down in the, in the endless theological debates uh-huh. that are for, are always so fruitless. Seem to benefit the enemy and not the believer. The Apostle Paul addresses the you know the people that just want to endlessly debate hair mm-hmm. splitting issues over theology. And how, how wrong that is, but 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 back to this issue of permission. Mm-hmm. So the permission has to come from some kind of spiritual mentor if you're inside of evangelicalism.
1: From the you're you're talking from their viewpoint. Yeah. Like, this is not what we are saying. Just to make is, that clear. Yeah.
0: So so in case in case the, the listener is not clear, I am talking about someone who is an evangelical and would like to get out there and, and start developing some techniques. And fighting evil. Uh Interfacing with the enemy practically. So the first thing that you have to do is you have to stop waiting for permission. You will not have it. You will not have permission right now. And if you're waiting for someone to give it to you, you you, you absolutely have to have that. Then I, Jared Bauer, by the authority invested in me, by Douglas Hyde, I give you permission. And that's all you need. Next is the permission from the culture. The permission from the culture is also a twisted one because they are continually turning to secular institutions, in particular in the United States, at least yeah. since the 1990s. These institutions have set themselves up against the people of God. They are an anti-Christian organization. They are not technically... Secular. Secularism is a religion in and of itself that has set itself up against the kingdom of God, against the ethics of Christendom. It is an anti-Christian organization. If you're talking about a secular organization, it is either confessing Christ and looking to reflect his values, or it is working against Christ. This is what the communists do. They look at the institution and they say, if it's not overtly communist, if it's not overtly Marxist, It needs to change into that. Mm -hmm. A surprising number of Christians are okay with that, but I've had a surprising number of of Christians say that they're not okay with me saying this needs to be an overtly Christian organization. Every organization, every institution, every principality, every power, every single conceivable authority structure must point to Jesus, Mm -hmm. period. And then after that, it must enact his ethics. And after that, it needs to enforce
1: those ethics. I 100% agree with that. The Bible says that at the name of Jesus, at the end of this when Christ reigns complete, every knee will bow at the name of Jesus Christ. So what we are saying every knee will bow, that doesn't just mean one time. That means that every single individual is going to bow down before their God and creator, and some of those people are going to be saved out of hellfire, and the rest won't. Well, how dare God compel people? How, how dare he use compulsion and force to make them worship him? Sorry, he's sovereign. That's what he gets to do. So I'm going to fight against this idea that Christians have no right to bring things under the name of Jesus Christ. And secondly, I want to return to Jared's point. When Jared said that if you're waiting for permission, then sadly you don't understand your own salvation. Because Christ said that all authority is given to me, and I give it unto you. And what did he say to do? He said, go forth and make disciples of every nation Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all the things that I commanded you. And so unfortunately, or fortunately, all of our human activity is encompassed in that Great Commission. And so the permission cannot be given by a human organization. It cannot, because it's already been given. It's a magic feather. Yeah. Which you probably what that means.
0: Dumbo. Oh, right. He was able to fly, so they, but he didn't have the confidence to do it, so they gave him a magic feather, and he believed the magic feather gave him the capacity to fly. And this is exactly where, what I'm dealing with here, guys. Either Jesus gave it to you, permission and authority, or he didn't. Mm-hmm. And if he didn't, you are probably have pretty lazy theology, and it's possible you're dabbling in blasphemy. Yeah. Because you're denying the power. Now... I also want to talk about one more thing to to land the plane on this issue of permission from secular authorities. Yeah. How you relate to a secular institution that can equip you to be better at a thing, better at a technique, is I think you should approach it more like Steve Jobs did. So Steve Jobs only took the classes that he thought he was going to need in order to accomplish his goal and then dropped out. (laughs) <laughs> and that's exactly the way you would approach it. You're not approaching it for a degree so that you can go work for other institutions and be incorporated into the existing decayed systems. If you choose to do that, I support that, but their permission is not what we're talking about here. Me having a degree in, uh, let's say, journalism, it doesn't actually help me unless I'm trying to go to get a job at a corrupt newspaper. Mm -hmm. And just so we're clear, in case you haven't picked up on this yet or not, the Yakima Herald Republic is a corrupt organization, and it's a Marxist organization, and it is a sinister organization. It's evil.
1: And they can't even get fluff pieces, right? So it's actually also an incompetent one. They have
0: willfully, uh, recently, in the last seven days, they have willfully lied about the mayor of Yakima and they have willfully lied about a city councilman, and they have worked extraordinarily hard to obfuscate an incident of blackmail uh, by one city council member against another. So with that understanding, let's talk now about techniques. And immediately you see here him talking about propaganda. People have a negative negative response to propaganda. Justifiably. Yeah, and so we're going to be using propaganda tongue-in-cheek. The following is something that I hold to be true, and if you aren't here yet, that's okay. I'm not interested in debating, but you're probably not going to get a lot out of this episode. I assert that there has never been such thing, such a thing as unbiased news. All news has a bias. It's implicit, it's explicit, it's it's present by the stories they choose not to cover. It's present in the stories they do choose to cover. It's how they're written, whose cast is the villain, whose cast is the hero. It is storytelling. Journalism is storytelling. Newspapers specifically, several newspapers were actually designed for political parties. That's where they got their start. There's been a clean understanding that while they would strive to walk in the middle, they would still reject certain ideologies out of hand. So there was a bias. It just wasn't always anti-Christian. I think a lot of people will will assume that that these guys are motivated by profit. So they'll say, well, it's it's a salacious story if if it's a priest molesting kids or it's a salacious story if it's a pastor who knocked up his secretary. And so that's why they run the story. And my response is it's a it's a more salacious story mm-hmm. to tell the story about what was going on in Haiti about the Clintons and you killed that one. Uh-huh. Uh, it was a more salacious story to talk about anything Hunter Biden has done ever, and it is a more salacious story to talk about the weird behavior of Joe Biden as it, was, it relates to children, yeah. And
1: that's way juicier,
0: yeah. And they could be running that on the front page and they choose not to, not because they could like you would get more views, people would tune into that. Oh, yeah, heck yeah, I would so consider, consider reading money. the
1: Herald Republic if they wrote that story, yeah. So the
0: Herald Republic is has to ignore border crisis, like this is 2021. Right now, there's a massive influx of open borders. They basically have created an open border program. Uh-huh. In Yakima, how that affects us is we have a large population of Hispanics, which attracts illegal aliens. Mm-hmm. The second is that I got a tip from Jim, who works with a guy who is friends with a guy who manages the airport. And he said that twice a week he's, that we've been getting Boeing airplanes coming in, not 747s, but smaller planes, smaller Boeing uh, jetliners, and that they have uh, been delivering illegal aliens that have been coming across the border into Yakima. They've been injecting them into Yakima, or one of the destination cities. And I have to follow up on that. I'm not sure if that's 100% sh- true. But as you trace this story around, the reason the Herald won't look into this, and there's no way the Herald doesn't know about it if it's happening. Yeah is because they don't want people to know the truth. Doesn't matter. Money doesn't matter to them. The no. Herald actually lost its building. They've been reduced staff okay. several times.
1: They're printed and made in Seattle. They, all of their money yeah. comes from Seattle. They're
0: being edited somewhere else. They're being printed in Walla Walla and shipped mm-hmm. into Yakima that shut down their printers last year. Yep. And this is with governments, massive government subsidies. Oh, heck yeah. Which, by the way, are taxpayers.
1: So they don't need any subscriber They rights. really don't. They really don't. But but they are a propaganda machine.
0: And that's my point. My point is, is if you cynically come to me and say, well, it's just because they do that to everybody. No, they do not. They do not do this to everybody, that's a lie. It's also true that they lie about people. Uh-huh. They don't lie about everybody. They lie about Christians. And yeah. If they can find a way to lie about Christians or people that they suspect have a Judeo-Christian ethic, they will, and they get to do it with impunity.
1: Their their circle also includes outspoken combatants who might not consider themselves Christians. Yeah. A classic example comes to mind is Jason White and Kenton Gartrell. They had zero problem lying about them, and I actually read about the, the guy who committed suicide in 2015, yeah. who ran for city council, and, after, and he committed suicide after the Herald Republic created a massive narrative around him being a philanderer and you know just a whole bunch of stuff, yeah, and just trying to wreck his family. Yeah, and, and yeah, which they succeeded in. Good job, the, the Herald Republic. So, it, so I 100% agree. If you are a follower of Christ. Antichrist is going to move you to the top of the list, but in our current climate, we don't have any outspoken Christians, and my information is a little bit uh, out of date, so this might no longer be true. However, uh, in 2017, there weren't a whole lot of outspoken Christians that were stepping into platforms except for two, and the Herald Republic just hammered those guys hard. Yeah. So it's whoever is opposing their agenda and Christians are at the top of the list.
0: Yeah, and and almost I mean the list is so short in America <laughs> um there is a coalition of religions that are anti-Christian mm-hmm. and they include uh secular humanism, is islamism, uh satanism, um like there's a bunch of them mm-hmm. and uh, different forms of gnosticism. <laughs> uh and, and even a couple of, I would call them religions, but they're really cults that yeah. occasionally deploy Bible verses. <laughs> and they work very well together. And as long as, as long as they remain anti-Christian, they're very intolerant. So when we talk about propaganda, we have to recognize that we're in a war where mm-hmm. we're presenting our worldview, our, vi- our, our view of the world and how it works is being presented and, and, and that bias mm-hmm. is infecting our, our, our worldview and the truth that we're broadcasting. Conversely, the enemy of Christ does the same, mm-hmm. projects that and announces that at all times. The Marxist uh, agenda is being driven right now very effectively by the university and the national and local news outlets.
1: I want to return to your previous point because I think you made a really good one that got kind of skimmed over. And that is the idea, which is true. The, um, I have never met anyone who had a positive view of propaganda. Anytime you bring up the word propaganda, there is an immediate dislike of the word. And <laughs> I spent a year in a communist country, and they would at four o'clock they would air their propaganda briefing. It was ten minutes, and it would talk about the glorious leader and how he had stood up against the corrupt Western capitalists. <laughs> and it was straight nineteen fifties red menace you know as kind of clumsy and unsubtle as you can imagine and it was and you and and they would have they would literally have video of, of the president with the flag behind him waving in a non-existent breeze as patriotic music plays behind and he talks about uh, the, the newscaster in a very excited tone like he's like he's meeting a celebrity and the glorious leader his excellency the the, the great commander and she it was a It was it was ridiculous. Yeah, it was it was ridiculous. And so we think of propaganda as that. And I think you made a really good point that propaganda doesn't necessarily have to have a negative connotation. I spoke with some guys in a small on small class once and I said, what do you guys think of the word manipulate? What comes to mind? It was four lay people and a chiropractor in the room. And I deliberately wanted the chiropractor to speak last. And they all said, well, you know, manipulate means to make someone do what you want by underhanded means, okay? And and that was probably the best description that I got, the definition that I got until I got to the chiropractor. And the chiropractor said, well, manipulate means to move something where you want it to be probably because you know better than the person. So chiropractors use the term manipulate because you have to manipulate the body to go into a place where it should be able to go, but injury has occurred and it won't go where it's supposed to. So you have to manipulate it. And I said, great, both of those definitions are true. And if you look up definition of propaganda, it just means media designed to teach your viewpoint, to, just to tell your viewpoint, that's it. And so Christian's, Suck at propaganda.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and and some of this is because uh, Christians suck at worldview, but some of it is because um, there is an understanding that if I talk about politics, if I drift away from just presenting the raw gospel without application, Mm -hmm. then I am injecting this with contextualization that is going to alienate people and make them not believers, as opposed to I'm going to tell the truth whether they like it or not, and then they can either hate the truth and hate the truth deliverer and then, you know, persecute them, or they will have an opportunity to be transformed. And in most cases, they don't get the opportunity to be transformed until after they're persecuted. So I'm wondering if step one and step two as opposed to either or. Then, as we approach the issue of propaganda, then I'm saying, I want to go out there and tell the truth And I want to tell it well. I want to tell the truth about how the gospel actually works, what the world could be like. What is the ideal civilization, and how does it operate? That's what I would do. That's what I would do
1: if I had my own, I don't know, newspaper. If Christians just proclaim the gospel of Christ, if they actually stuck true and preached Christ and Christ alone, I would respect that. And spoiler alert, they would still come after you if you just preached Christ. If you just preached male and female, he created them. In God's image, he created them. That, that'll send the Twitter mobs after you if all you do is preach that. And so my fault with my indictment against the Church is not that they only preach the Christ, it's that they don't preach him enough. Instead, when we have opportunity to preach to unconverted masses, to people that aren't already in your Church, do we proclaim the Gospel of Christ, or do we talk about puppies for 45 minutes? Yeah so that we can be relatable, Mm -hmm. and that's where I really have a problem with this, because Christ is offensive. The gospel of Christ is absolutely offensive, which is why Paul proclaimed that he refused to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Mm -hmm. If your your main evangelism method is, I'm just going to live a quiet life, and then they're going to ask me why the hope that I have in then you're going to be waiting a long time before anyone asks you why you're a Christian, because mostly they're just not going to care. Yeah, I've never actually seen that work. Yeah, it's basically what it is, is, oh, so you just get to live your life, and you don't ever have to get in anyone's face about the fact that they're going to die and go to hell. Mm -hmm. Because that's offensive. So if you want to just preach Christ, then preach Christ. But, so there's this phrase in Latin. I don't remember how to say it in Latin, but it's beautiful. The compassion of Christ compels me. And that's what they put up in the, the old St. Elizabeth Hospital. The compassion of Christ compels me to do X. St.
0: Saint, Saint Elizabeth Hospital is, uh, I think, one of the oldest hospitals in Yakima.
1: Yeah. And so if the compassion of Christ compelled us to create a compelling message explaining to people that they are bound for hell, but they don't have to go there, then you could call that propaganda. But the compassion of Christ ought to compel us to do more than just sit back and watch it all happen.
0: In, in this chapter, he talks about the fact that, and this, this relates to the campaigns, you find the problem, you present a solution, you organize the individuals involved. This is technique. Mm-hmm. All right? The, the, the communication of your ideas in order to solve the problem requires media. Yeah in this day and age, you can't it requires public speaking and it requires organizing groups of people. That's what it takes. And if you're not going to do that, then you're not campaigning. <laughs> you're not campaigning. If, if, if you're in a church and you want to start a Bible study, if, if you're competing with some other Bible study, like if there is no, no competition, that's one thing. But if you are competing with the other Bible study and you're having a throwdown about it, if you really want to succeed and you want to carry the day and have, and populate your Bible study with the people that might go to that other Bible study otherwise, I would strongly recommend that you pay attention to propaganda, mm-hmm. that you pay attention to public speaking, that you pay attention to a well-organized small group. Take that idea and apply it to any problem, any problem at all. If you're at work, put together a campaign, mm-hmm. campaign at work in order to solve a problem at work. It can be a problem for your employees. It can be a problem for your coworkers. It can be a problem for your consumers, the people that are buying your product. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. You have got to recognize that you, in order to be an effective communist or an effective Christian, you've got to recognize the needs of the community and then be the people that actually put the feet on the ground and build the doggone highway. Mm-hmm who put in the bridge, who...
1: Build the roads so the town yeah. has access to the highway. Or the get freeway. the coal. You know, yeah. Get
0: the coal for the housewives. Like, Be that person, and then you're going to have the opportunity to present the worldview.
1: A great example of this is, okay, so abolishing uh, abortion. That's a short-term goal. We could easily, easily say, okay, one of the factors for abortion is that unwed mothers are afraid of what to do, or even not maybe not just unwed, but poor women are afraid of being able to raise their kids. Okay, got it. So we need to address that problem if we have to abolish abortion. So the compassion of Christ could easily compel us to say, okay, we're going to start halfway home, so we're going to do X, Y, Z. But that is a practical way to move towards the goal. And that's boots on ground. And I'm not saying you have to do that. I'm saying that is something that we could do easily. Mm -hmm. So... There's this thing that I notice in Christianity, and I fight against it because it's also in my own heart. It's the, well, you know, we can't we can't advertise when we give or when we're doing something because that's pride. That, you know, Jesus said, when you give, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And we misapply those verses. But that is a fight. That is an actual fight that we have to overcome. There's a great essay that Jared reads. It's uh, from the book Creators by Paul Johnson, and he, he contrasts Pablo Picasso with Walt Disney. These are two men who created immense kingdoms in their lifetimes. They created huge wealth. They created lasting impressions. Both names, Disney and Picasso, are household names that are known 100 years later. And they're wildly different, and they have different viewpoints and different biases, and that's not where I'm going with this. What's fascinating is they were both shameless self-promoters. And Christians have a huge problem with that. Well, I can't promote myself. I need to promote Christ. Yes, you need to promote Christ. I absolutely believe that. However, a humble man's actions are going to look very, very similar to a proud man's. And there's a quote by G.K. Chesterton. New York City was built by humble men because proud men could not stand to have anything bigger than themselves. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So G.K. Chesterton walked through New York City in 1922, and he was awed at the humility of the men that would create skyscrapers. Mm -hmm. And we know their names. Rockefeller, Ford. (laughs) <laughs> the men who built America, you could argue that they're shameless self-promoters. You could. Some of them were actually very, very humble men. So, yeah. so we kind of have to get over ourselves because false humility is still pride. Well, I couldn't, I don't want to promote myself because it's Jesus that's important. Well, guess what? Jesus is promoting you. Jesus actually says that he brags about you to his father when you do things that please him.
0: Yeah, and that that's the thing that I was being confronted. They said, Jared, this is an act of shameless self-promotion. I said, I don't know of any other self-promotion. <laughs> uh, it better be shameless, because that's exactly what I'm doing.
1: Right. I have n- no shame in this. I
0: don't think that it's wrong. Therefore, I'm not ashamed. Yeah. And to the credit of the individual that had challenged me, they took a step back and stopped to, to consider that, mm-hmm. which was wise. But... Um, I want to refocus here real quick and talk yeah. about propaganda because keeping in mind that it is terribly important, printed propaganda is, is like a subheading in this chapter. True. When I was working on The Daily Worker, the paper was both banned and bombed. As a consequence, our staff was dispersed. There was a war on and some were directed into industry more into the armed forces, from which, incidentally, most of them emerged in due course as officers.
1: You must be the best.
0: Then, after Russia had been brought into the war, the ban was lifted. Quite suddenly, the one or two of us who were left had to get together a new staff. There was little opportunity to pick and choose, but one thing was essential. That was that they should be intelligent and politically sound. They must be good communists. Mm -hmm. Our new staff consisted of furrier, engineers, housewives, anyone but trained journalists who at that moment were simply unobtainable. We had to train our journalists to do two things. Write good copy that was competitive with the best capitalist presses and present the communist worldview
1: in understandable language. Mm-hmm.
0: And, and so here's the thing. This is This is very important. What I'm about to say is very important. When Douglas Hyde talks about these things, do not assume that in this day and age, the things he said need to be retrofitted to such an extent that they're unrecognizable. Yes, you need to retrofit, but when he says the printed word, he means the printed word. He doesn't mean the digital word. He means the printed word. Now, I'm going to speak from my personal experience. If it's in print, everyone takes it more seriously. This is something that the conservative websites still live in denial over. Time Magazine has more power culturally right now, despite its decline, than the Gateway Pundit. Mm -hmm. And that's because the Gateway Pundit, despite actually reporting news, which Time Magazine doesn't do, The Gateway Pundit is just a website. And so when you are putting things together in order to impact people, being in control of your platform is is an important part of what you must do. And so your platform might be that you own Facebook. You can go ahead Mm -hmm. and and own Facebook or start Facebook. Or it might be that you have a printer or it might be that you subcontract printers but make sure that the left can't figure out which one it is that you're (laughs) working with. Trust me. And it might be something as as vast as, as a 242-page broadsheet. And it might be something as simple as a little flyer or postcard. But those things, those written words, they interrupt people's lives. And they stop and they take them seriously.
1: I, I couldn't agree more. And I've gone back and forth on this. So the argument that we will commonly run into is, well, The printed word is dead. People don't read newspapers anymore. And something that Jared said that I really want to hit because he said it so well. And I'm going to combine two things that he said. You can read Times or you can read Facebook. And when you take the things that you've learned, either in Facebook or Times, and then you go to your friend or you go to your opposition or whoever you say this to, and you say, I read this. I read this. I read something the other day. It carries way more weight if you say, I read this in The Times than I read this on Facebook for a couple of reasons. Facebook is open source, which means it can come from anywhere. It can be anything. Times, the impression is, and I don't like The Times because they're Marxists who hate Christ. But if if I say, well, I read in Times the other day, then I immediately have an audience. But here's the interesting thing. Where did I read Times? If I'm reading a physical magazine, I'm at a dentist appointment and I'm waiting and I, and I look through their stack of magazines for something to read that isn't my phone because we all get really tired of being on and attached to our phones. We want the relaxation of an actual hard copy. And just like Jared said, the hard copy is more real. I remember reading the Wall Street Journal once and I highlighted the damn thing because it was so pagan. <laughs> and, and I kept those articles for a while and I would read people the article again which is way more persuasive than, oh, hold on, let me look on my phone. Okay, where is that? Where is that? Where is that? Okay, here it is. Or whatever it is, and you just read it off the phone. But if you have the physical article, you can show it. See, I didn't doctor it. This is actually their words. Mm. So it's persuasive across the board. It's way more persuasive. It's way, way more persuasive to have a physical copy that you have in front of you than the digital one that you can read, that anyone can read or edit or contribute to on Facebook or Instagram or any of the other posts.
0: Now, if you're choking on this and you're like, hey, where's that in the Bible? Write it down and make it plain. Mm-hmm. Write it down and make it plain. And send it. Send it out. That's, that's your job. Now, I'm very persuaded right now because our enemies, the newspapers, have been telling us for 20 years that there's no money in newspapers and newspapers are dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course they're going to say that. Of course they're going to say it. They're failing because 50% of the country has been alienated by their lies. Well, it turns out more than 50% of the country has been alienated by the drivel, and the dumpster fire that is their reporting. I I mean, it was patently absurd, the kind of work that they do. And so you have that. And then you have the fact that aesthetically, most of the newspapers are garbage. They're a dumpster fire. I'm telling you, the state of American media has actually really gone to shit over the last five years mm-hmm. and in print in particular which presents us with the opportunity because people are frustrated this is interesting in the conversations i have with people they're frustrated with the media because nobody's telling them what's
1: blatantly obvious blatantly
0: obvious so i already know these things are true but no one's talking about it and then yeah. i say what do you mean all your friends talk about it all your friends are talking about it. Mm-hmm. And they say yes, but all the media isn't talking they're, about it. It never happened. Right. The other but thing that I find to be true is they're having a hard time articulating it. Everyone from boomers to Xers to Got it. To Everyone like who's not in the
1: media are having a hard time mm-hmm. They're are having a hard time
0: articulating what's going on in the culture that the media is not articulating. Uh-huh. And so... I if,
1: wish somebody would just say that this is happening. I yes. just I wish that somebody they, they would, would just acknowledge talk it. about...
0: Yeah, they would just talk about it. At yeah. least examine the evidence on this. Yeah, that, I hear that I hear
1: that comment a lot, yeah.
0: And this presents us with another opportunity because they're basically saying, I wish somebody would tell the truth. Uh-huh. And that somebody would tell it well and that somebody would print it and hand it to me. And I'm like, whoa, that's very specific. It's almost like Jared created a straw man. And Douglas Hyde says, printed propaganda. And he spends some time on printed propaganda. I'm not going to go over all of it, but I'm oh. going to read a little bit here.
1: Mm-hmm. I wonder if we're going to jump to the same thing. A communist
0: paper, said Lenin, must Ah. be an educator, an agitator, and an organizer for communism. Now, I uh, want to go over this again. A communist paper, said Lenin, must be an educator, an agitator, and an organizer. All right. The educator says, here's what has happened. An agitator says, here's why it's wrong, or here's why it's right, or here's what should be right or wrong which is a moral delineation. And the last is, this is what you do about it. Either we press on and continue the momentum if it's a win, or we organize in order to fight evil. Christianity, in order to be relevant in the culture...
1: Ooh, relevance. mm,
0: Truly relevant. Yeah, I know, right? Needs to be functioning as a creator that steps up and does those things, that creates a print media... Propaganda, if you like, that does those three things. And if you can't do those three things, ladies and gentlemen, you will continue to lose the culture war. Continue to lose the
1: culture war. Moving on to another section that really stood out to me, if I can. I don't know what else is on your docket. On page 136, he talks about the poster war that occurred in Italy in 1948. It was this approach to propaganda that the communists of Italy brought to their tremendous poster campaigns, which were such a feature of Italian elections in the first post-war L- years. Let me, let
0: me set this up a little bit, because some people might get confused. I'm sorry. I was
1: going to give, give some context.
0: Oh, okay. So the context is, we're looking at right outside of World War II, fascism has failed, there is now a vacuum, and it looks like communism could very easily get sucked into that vacuum. Mm-hmm. And just north of Italy you have the little puppet states that that represent the communist
1: uh, blocks. Yeah. Yeah, and in this power vacuum, what's fascinating is the only power that stood up to resist communism was the Catholic Church. There was no conservative, there were no Republicans, there was no... There was nothing. Yeah.
0: There was nothing but fascism.
1: Yeah, and so the Catholics stood in. Good job, the Catholics.
0: And communism.
1: Yeah, those were the two powers on the scene. So in the in the section that Jared read about the the propaganda the poster war, what it says is Catholics saw this as a challenge. The civic committees under the wing of Catholic action produced and I I have to emphasize this, they produced first rate posters as well or two. To them the nineteen forty eight elections were of decisive importance, and so they virtually threw aside all pretense at being non political. So Sorry, Christians, you have to throw aside the pretense of being non political. That does not mean you have to vote R or D for every single thing. Yes, you absolutely have to vote your conscience. And if you are voting for the lesser of two evils, you are still political. Stop trying to ride the fence. Stop trying to be lukewarm. Let them hate you because they're going to anyway. But I'm sorry, I, I, I get, I'm getting shouty again. Okay. Yeah. These Catholics brought the same approach to the poster campaign as did the communists. They found the very best amongst Catholics employed in press and publicity, poster artists, commercial artists, journalists, publicists, and advertising experts. Once again, we have to be the best. And somebody will listen to this podcast and they will say, this podcast sucks, you guys are terrible, and you shouldn't do this. You are reading, you're hypocrites because you guys aren't the best. And see Jared's first point on this episode. You have to keep moving forward, and we are going to be improving, and Jared's getting better and better at this, and they're editing more me more and more heavily so that you get a better product, and that's how we're doing this. But if somebody who genuinely wants to help, wants to step in and say, hey, I'm good at this, I will teach you, please let us know. We would be glad to receive your help. But if you want to tell us to stop and to stop producing art until we're good, you can you can go take a flying leap. Yeah. But here's what here's the interesting thing the catholics found the very best amongst catholics employed in press and publicity poster artists commercial artists journalists publicists and advertising experts the communists would go to a city and plaster every wall with wonderfully ingenious often wickedly satirical posters now here's this is absolutely key within a few hours the local civic committee members were going around pacing up others which either directly debunked those of the communists or provided an answer to them they were careful To see that they were just as good in design, just as imaginative, uh, as amusing, this is the part I I have underlined. As devastating, poster for poster, they were as good as the communist best. So I think Christians need to stop being afraid of punching back. Hmm. Christ said that when someone strikes you on the cheek, you turn to them and offer them the other. All right? That is a personal command. That is not a corporate command. If the, if the founders of the American country had taken that principle, we would still be under the tyranny of the English. Sorry, that's just the way it is. So, when tyranny becomes law, rebellion becomes obedience to God. But, there's this idea that, well, Christians can't be satirical. Christians can't mock their opponents. Well, actually, if you read the Bible, God mocks the wicked. He laughs at their calamity. He scorns the unrighteous.
0: Yeah, and the other one is Christians are not allowed to call
1: names. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I would agree that Christians must be very concerned with truthfulness. And if somebody is an ungodly defiler, if they're sexually degenerate, if they're morally just irreparable, say that. If they are a wine-bibber, if they're a drunkard, if they're an adulterer, you can say that. And if they're a
0: fool. Yes. A pinhead.
1: <laughs> well, that pinhead's a problem, but a nitwit. You don't have to be mean when you insult him. You well, could be can be nice. Um,
0: the thing that I, I want to point out here is trying to be nicer than Jesus. Yeah, is is never acceptable. Yeah, it's never acceptable. It's it's never acceptable. Um, I had someone say that's not Christlike, and it reminds me of this. The lyrics from this song by by a rapper named Ye Kanye Kanye West. He's talking about his dad. His dad says, that's not Christ-like at the end of the song. He says, but that's not Christ-like. And then he says, I start spazzing on him. He starts spazzing on me. He said, that's not Christ-like. I said, "Ah!" and that's the end of the song. And I wanted to shout just like in that song. I was looking at them going, you want me to be Christ-like where I insult Pharisees Uh huh. <laughs> I hang out with prostitutes and then they torture me to death. Also, I get to use some pretty terribly foul language along the way. Yeah.
1: Bird of vipers.
0: Bird of vipers, dogs, you know, used tampons, pile yeah. of used tampons, like like this this was the dirty language of, of his age. Yeah, that, the dirtiest it language was shocking. of his age. I mean back to dedication leadership. We I have wa- to talk about it. There's
1: more I wanted to talk about the poster war. And so Christians do make propaganda. We constantly do. They make movies that, that are propaganda, A Fireproof, Facing the Giants, Flywheel, you know, Christian movies. And K-Love is also propaganda. And I was thinking about this. Jared and I bag on K-Love quite a bit. And what I realized is we're not the target demographic for K-Love. K-Love has said that their target demographic is a 41-year-old female divorcee that they've named Karen, I think. This was before Karen was a curse word. Yeah. And so K-Love sells a product that is 100% happy. It's the Thomas Kincaid of audible art. Friend when you need one. Sure. And so while I while I don't identify with that, I do acknowledge that there are many people, none of them who listen to this podcast, that gain a spiritual sustenance from listening to K-Love. It gives them hope for their day is I think, how they build it. And so... I'm not at this time attacking K-Love, but I will say if all Christians make is K-Love type product, we will lose the next generation because the people who are listening to K-Love and like it are in their 50s. Once upon a time, they said that their demographic was 40. That was 20 years ago. So their demographic is aging with them and new people are not coming in. This is in contrast to the poster war of 1948. That captured the imagination of a country and it actually kept communism from taking a hold of Italy. And Italy remains free of communism to this day because the church was not afraid to get dirty and they weren't afraid to satirize their yeah, enemies. And they
0: weren't afraid to be political. Yeah. Um, I'm going to move on to films and discs. The communists take the same approach of excellence when, and you know, kind of mastering the craft and presenting the worldview. Because Christian art... Is substandard. It is unlikely to reach yeah. out beyond the converted to the unconverted. In other words, it fails in what is presumably its true purpose. So, the true purpose of, I'm going to name a couple of bad Christian films. The true purpose of Fireproof was to try to convert people to Christianity, but everybody that watched it were already Christians. And it was so cringy, nobody else watched it that weren't Christians. I mean, I'm I'm speaking in pretty broad generalities here, but then you turn to The Passion of the Christ. Mm-hmm. Everybody watched it. Everybody watched it.
1: Yeah. And it sparked a huge outrage, yeah. which Fireproof did not. Zero. The people who are outraged at Fireproof are Christians who want good art. It wasn't the Christians who went there and consumed it and immediately forgot about it. And it wasn't the non-Christians who never saw it. The Passion of the Christ sparked huge outrage from the media. This is, this is gory. This is just gore porn, which none of them objected to the Saw movies, but it was The Passion of the Christ. that was, It was just too violent. It's just too violent. How dare you?
0: <laughs> I'm going to point something out here. As soon as Singapore was given self-government, it started an all-out attack upon yellow culture, quotation marks, deg- that is degraded Western culture. The near-pornographic Hollywood posters were taken down from the hoardings at the side of the streets. The films they advertised were banished. The pulp literature from the West, paperbacks with lurid covers, were banned from the bookstalls. The brothels were closed. New and stricter regulations were enforced in the hotels. One Chinese Singaporean pagan put it searingly and unforgettably. Quote, we had to clean up the mess the Christians left behind, end quote. Douglas Hyde, theologically, is Catholic, so he doesn't have much of a reformed tradition. So when I assert that the reason why Hollywood was able to flourish there is because back at home in the West, Hollywood has not been disciplined for its pornography. Uh Uh-huh. And it has not been censured for its pornography, and there is a way to do it and it should be done. There is a moral imperative to it. We as Christians need to put an end to the pornography industry, period. And we need to start disciplining what comes out of Hollywood and not allowing kind of the revenge porn all day long.
2: Mm.
0: We need to be stepping up. Some of that is by becoming creators ourselves, and some of that is by creating moral impetus with Christians who see the value in putting an end to these empires of filth.
1: And on that note, I was reading just the other day that two of the individuals who were responsible for popularizing pornography in the 1970s, they were interviewed and said, Well, why do you do this? And their response was, and I quote, because we believe that Christ sucks and we hate him and all of his followers. This I know this sounds like bad propaganda from me, and I was actually surprised at this article. (laughs) And they said, We hate this and we are trying to subvert the culture that identifies as Christ because a bunch of wasps, uh, white Anglo-Saxon Protestants, are consuming this. This part is my editorialization, but this is so we can destroy their culture. Because uh, This is the interesting one, because we hate Christ.
0: And now we're going to move to the spoken word. When the communist is trained in public speaking, he is told always to keep close to the lives of the people in the examples and anecdotes he uses. Each time he makes a theoretical point, he should illuminate it with a story from the fields, the workshops or the streets, from the working life and interests of the masses. In the Communist Party's early days, their propaganda was what they now describe as sectarian. In other words, they did not care whom they offended. They made no effort to make their ideas acceptable to others. Marxism is, in fact, in conflict with every other philosophy, every other point of view, and the Communist propagandist went into battle every time he mounted the platform. He attacked the beliefs of his hearers, ridiculed their religion, told them that they were spoon-fed and dumb. That way, he made enemies, not friends. Had the communists continued along that course, they would have remained a small, unsuccessful group of plotters and no more. Mm -hmm. As time went on, however, they learned that a more subtle approach was required. Instead of setting out to prove that the other man is wrong. They seek to find a point of contact with his mind, then try to extend the area of sympathetic interest and agreement just as far as possible. I I brought this up several times, but the Christians have spent most of their time trying to find something to disagree with other Christians about. Mm -hmm. And they have not spent time, and I've been guilty of this in the past, finding and cultivating their allies. I don't need you to be in my small group. I don't need you to be a part of my thing. You get to be soft support. You get to be an ally. That's good. I want those. Please be my ally.
1: This is what Christ spoke to his disciples. They said, hey, Jesus, there are these guys that are baptizing, but they're not with us. And Jesus said, hey, if they're not against us, they're for us. Whoever's not not against me is for me. And this is a different part when he, he said somewhere else in a different context, whoever is not for me is against me. And that's... Neither here nor there. But that that idea, if they're not against us, they're actually for us. is something that is so valuable when trying to fight evil. Whoever isn't actively enrolled in the ranks of the enemy is either a potential ally or a non-combatant. But if they're heading in the same direction and they want to fight with you and not against you, then whoever is not against me is for me. Mm-hmm. And so... I think that that's a really, really valuable mindset, and I don't believe that it betrays Christ to ally with people that are unchristian if you're both fighting evil, because there's this point that Jared always likes to make. The ethics that we employ in the campaigns will automatically point back to whoever is sovereign in our lives, and so if the ethics that we employ are Christ-like, they will obviously point to Christ. If these ethics are Jared's ethics, they will point out that Jared is the king of his own life, or he will he believes himself sovereign, or what have you. So the the point is, as Christians—and Douglas Hyde talks about this—we are forbidden from using certain means and techniques. We cannot use sin to bring—like, the wrath of God does not produce the righteousness of man. The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So, we have to fight a little bit with one hand behind our back. I do, I do grant you that. We cannot burn their homes to the ground, even though— Yeah,
0: they shall not murder.
1: Yeah, yeah, we cannot murder, do not murder, you're not allowed to or murder. False,
0: yeah, no bearing false witness. Yep,
1: yeah, we are, we're, we're bound here. You we're can't, bound
0: to love our enemies.
1: We're yeah. bound to law. Yeah. So in this analogy, pretending that we do have one hand behind our back, if you only have one hand, then you better fight hard. And I I just see this unwillingness to fight. Well, we just need to be nice. No, we don't. We need to be Christ-like. And spoiler alert for here, Christ wasn't nice. He actually had a lot of enemies. They hated him so much that they killed him. Yeah. So on techniques, in some of his small group stuff, he talks about how, you know, you can kind of it's sort of like brainwashing. You can you can indoctrinate people to the point where they will believe you. Yeah, that's probably not the best way to do. It. Don't do that. Yeah. This is a really exciting part of it. Okay. The value of techniques. He he talks about how when there is one communist in any sphere of his life, and he he mentions several. He says, "Okay, in the job that he is at, if he finds two more communists, this is uh, going to end on, yeah." He has an imperative, almost a moral imperative to create a cell group within that and then to begin like, "Okay, here we are, we are communist, this is going to become a communist function. He's in his trade union, he also enjoys music, and he has these circles as well. And when he's in these circles, if he finds another communist, then the first job is convert another person to communism, and now they have a cell group. And now they begin enacting communist policies across every sphere of their lives. And this is something that struck me very, very hard the first time. This was one of the things that I had a lot of resistance towards in my own life when I came across this idea, because I wanted areas of my life that I didn't have to give over to Christ. I wanted areas of hobbies. I wanted downtime. I wanted to play volleyball and not have to worry about evangelism. And so my church would have a volleyball night, and, you know, it it doesn't have to be a big deal. You know, you probably shouldn't curse. Those are the rules, and that's as far as they took it. And after I came across this, my worldview was shifted, and this this required a, a couple of conversations with Jared. And the idea is that any sphere of your life that you're a part of could be claimed by Christ. And I started after I read dedication and leadership, I realized how this could work, and I went to somebody who was in charge of it, and I said, you know, we could convert people to Christ through volleyball. And he said, what do what? And I said, on a good night, you have probably 45 individuals who do not know Christ. Come into your church building. It's across the street from your church. Mm -hmm. And you open each night with a prayer. God, thank you for this facility. Please make us not get injured. In your name I pray, amen. And help our words, probably. He might have also said, you know, and help us to glorify you through our language. Amen. And what I realized is... Ethics, ethics, ethics. It all comes back to ethics. This is, a, this is a recursive thing. But if we had, and I didn't push this because I didn't want to fight the church leadership on this thing. They, they had enough problems with me as it was. Yeah. But if I had really pushed this, I could have said, okay, this is how we're going to play volleyball. These are the rules around volleyball. Okay. And you can make them kind of you make them up on the, on the fly. You don't have to do guys on one side, girls on the other. But you do say, okay, this is how we're going to relate to the opposite sex because God has created them as vessels of honor. Right,
0: but we wouldn't necessarily have to go be that explicit. Exactly. You just tell them the rule and then they would just follow it.
1: Yeah. So this was the first thing. Wherever the communists are, when they come across another communist, they are all heading in the exact same direction. So they don't have to sit down and say, okay, what church do you go to? Well, what do you believe on this? Well, what do you believe on that? Oh, okay, well, all right then. All right, so, hey, let's make this place... God-honoring. Let's make it illegal in this place to use the name of God blasphemously. Mm-hmm. That's, that's one ethic we're going to apply. You can't use the name of Jesus in, as, a, as a curse word. We're going to redeem the name of Christ. That's, that's one ethic you can apply. So what I found really fascinating is that the communists do this. Communists seek to control every circle they are a part of. That's the first takeaway here. Christian, if you are not willing to give over areas of your life to God's dominion, then you need to examine your own heart because, I'm sorry to tell you this, that is rebellion and sin. When you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you actually gave every single part of your life to him. Now, you can submit those, and you should cut out anything that is outright sin. Sorry, you cannot glorify God and engage in pornography. You can't. You just can't. You can't glorify God and cheat on your wife. However, I know that we have 24 hours in the day. There are 168 hours in a week. So that's 168 hours that you could profit God. You could actually make that for God. So that's the first thing. Communists seek to control every circle that they are a part of. Secondly, Jesus said, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. This applies most specifically to church judgment and discipline. Meaning that when the church body meets, even if it's only two people, and if they agree, if they are two witnesses who say, this is sin, God has spoken, you have to stop doing this, that's most specifically in context about applying church discipline. So anyone who says, well, you can't apply church discipline without a pastor, bullshit! Thirdly, wherever there are three Christians, there ought to be a church. And I struggled with this. I, I, I didn't know what to say because whenever the, the three communists are present, they're a cell and they're organized and they begin to move in the direction of whatever communist says in that circle. And so I don't know if church applies, but it kind of does.
0: Say we use a different word instead of church. What if we use ecclesia? What if, <laughs> what if you're supposed to function as, as a little community that is called and is charged with governing whatever institution that they are currently a part of. It's an example of the volleyball. Mm -hmm. Uh The idea would be is you would find one Mm -hmm. like-minded individual who's somewhat like-minded. You convert him to biblical Christianity in this case. And then you would say, all right, we're going to take over the volleyball. We're going to become the best at it. And then we're going to take responsibility, unlocking, cleaning. Those are mm-hmm. the dirty jobs nobody wants. Mm-hmm. Pretty soon, nobody wants to be there because they're married, they got kids, and they can't handle the child care. And now you're in charge. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is how it works. Some stuff takes more work than that. You know, like if you're, I, I you know, I don't want to speak to how the unions work or, or other things. But Dan's point, which is what I wanted to close this chapter on, and I'm going to hand it over to Dan again, obviously, but is that uh, you? have to integrate your entire life Uh because right now what Christianity has done, and it's been a tremendous disservice, especially to the unborn, is this secular-sacred divide, which is false. Mm -hmm. Every part of your life glorifies God or doesn't glorify God. Mm -hmm. That's all there is. And if you're not actively looking to make whatever part of the world that you're, even your hobbies, Mm -hmm. that encompasses even your hobbies, to cause it to glorify God, that means you have to take it over. Mm -hmm. You have to take over institutions and you have to enforce biblical ethics. Mm -hmm. And in my experience, yes, there are people that balk at it, that that have a cow, they don't like it. But an overwhelming majority of them go, holy cow, this is nice. Uh Justice is a fresh air. I mean, like, I really like it. They don't feel safe. It feels edgy, frankly. Uh-huh. It really does. But they are persuaded there will be justice on an individual basis, which is something that causes them to feel protected. Mm-hmm.
1: Not safe.
0: Protected.
1: So there's this idea. When you think of taking over a circle, we immediately go to creating a circle. Like, well, okay, so I'm super into I'm just gonna create a straw man for a moment. Just Bear with me, I'm super into anime and I wanna have a circle that glorifies God with anime. So you know what, okay, so I'm gonna get my friends and I'm gonna convince that I'm not, I I don't like anime, but I'm just using it as an example here. And so there's this idea that, oh yeah, I'm gonna create this thing. And then they create this weird small thing that just sort of exists for a while (laughs) and never goes anywhere. And the communists were way smarter than that. That's not what the communists did. The communists didn't start factories. They're actually wholly against owning and starting factories. And that's that's part of the flaw of their worldview. What they did is they went where there were already things going on, and then they started working there. They started playing golf there. They started listening to music there. You can do that. There is absolutely nothing in the Bible that says you can't go to where the non-Christians are, start doing what the non-Christians are doing if there is no sin in it, and then take it for the glory of Christ and now make them Christian through it. They're, sorry, they're, I can't find the verse that forbids that.
0: Yeah, even if you're anti-Marxist and you re- you hate their religion yeah. and you hate their faith and you hate their, you hate their debauchery and you, you hate the murders that they subsidize and you hate the tyranny that they are seeking to enact at all times while you're at university and the tyranny that you have to live under, you can't get out of a university without learning all their garbage. Mm-hmm. And you can't fight back because Marxism hates
1: Christ. It's Christ,
0: and and they've taken over every university, and in America specifically, you're hard pressed to find old universities in the United States of America, especially Ivy League. That's not completely explicit. That weren't founded by explicitly Christian people, Uh who surrendered them, who surrendered them to the Marxists and the anti Christians.
1: Yeah, and they took it over in the same exact way that we're describing. They, they attended the school and they got on the alumni. They became professors and teachers and then pretty soon they start teaching their garbage. Because you can't cancel everybody, folks. They can't cancel all of us.
0: All right, now I'm going to tell a story. I ran my first small group, which was Black Ops, and then uh, I started running another one. I handed it over to Oren, guy named Oren, and he didn't know how to run one Mm -hmm. and i assumed that he'd just pick it up through osmosis because i it seemed pretty straightforward to me It was very naive of me but i had never run one technically but i'd read all the books so i'd never run a small group in my life and i ran black ops for my first small group in my life Mm -hmm. and so i said well you know this guy kind of saw how it went so i'll just hand it over to him
1: charismatic lots of very knowledgeable guy yeah he
0: was way together than i was so after that was done, it kind of melted down on him, and uh, he was discouraged. And I said, uh, wow, this is my fault. So I ran something called Small Group on Small Groups, which we brought up several times. And in it, we, ded- we do dedication and leadership. And it, it is a standout element of that curriculum, which is why we're doing it right now on the podcast. In dedication and leadership, I realized that you have to have a way to engage the ideas. Mm-hmm. So if you just sit and read it, or in your case, dear listener, <laughs> if you sit and listen to it, it means nothing. It means nothing. And get excited about it, but it means nothing if you don't go out there and do a thing mm-hmm. with it. So one of the individuals that came through, there was a lot of people that came through the small and smalls that were run afterwards by myself and Dan and I think one other. But a lot of dedication and leadership has been taught over the last...
1: 10 years? Yeah, 10 years.
0: One of those students went out and said, well, I, I, I want to present worldview. You know, There's a lot of news right now. And so during the pandemic, with the 99 over 99% survival rate, during that pandemic, he started printing on his little inkjet printer, I suppose, flyers. And he called it a night flyer, and he set up a little website. And it was basically op-ed work. So he would write an opinion piece on one side, and then on the other side, he just had a graphic with the name of his website. I might be slightly varying it, but that's a, that's what I remember as I'm sitting here. And he hands it out. He hands it out in a couple of different neighborhoods. On the website, he has like a book reading list. And that includes dedication and leadership. I include a few other books, some of which I've read, some of which I haven't. Then he Handed it out in neighborhoods... I don't even know all the neighborhoods that this guy handed it out in. All over Yakima. And he, he did multiple flyers over the course of... I don't know. I, I don't exactly know when he started. So I wouldn't say eight months. So he does this, and people ignore him. You know, he probably works at night. And, the,
1: hence the term, I guess. Yeah, the night flyer.
0: I don't know all the details, clearly. But I got one. You know, I was... I closed my front door and locked it, and it was dark out. And when I got up very early the next morning, my wife handed it to me. So he handed it out at night, on my doorstep anyway. And so I'm assuming he hit my whole neighborhood at that time, because I looked out the door and it was all over my neighborhood. (laughs) And his first flyer that I remember was uh, You're a Nazi, was what it was entitled. And underneath it, he described parallels between the Black Lives Matter movement and how the fascists took over Germany mm-hmm. and at the end he said, "You're a Nazi if you vote for a Democrat period <laughs> and you know it was a good point, and there are a lot
1: of parallels, not very subtle propaganda, but no it was very
0: on the nose, and he hands it out and and there were some people that were angry what? took pictures of it and posted it on Facebook, talked about how outraged they were by this propaganda that was on their doorstep mm-hmm. Then he does a a few more, and one of them he talks about a good politician who stood up to the governor who was abusing his powers and enforcing lockdowns that benefited corporations that donated to the Democratic Party.
1: Surprise!
0: Yeah, so instead of having multiple watering holes, we'll have one centralized watering hole where everyone can go.
1: Yeah, because COVID can't go to Walmart or Costco. Yeah.
0: can't. Um, Science. So he writes these little flyers and uh, not much comes of it. Then he writes a flyer about what I would call an open secret being ignored by... Socialists. By local media socialists. And I mentioned it earlier in this podcast is that a city council woman had been having a text conversation with a potential city council uh,
1: person. Candidate
0: or... Yeah. And it was the candidate's husband. Apparently, the candidate was running, it was a woman, her name was Janice DiCio, was running in District 4, which is the district that I live in for city council, and Senea Lund is a city councilwoman who's already been elected, and she was networking with a guy named DiCio about how to basically manage the campaign by blackmailing members of the community for political gain, specifically in order to take over the city council. They want to take over the city council so that they can push through things like sanctuary city and income tax and things like that.
1: And they were they were uh, counseling Janice DeCio's husband to scrub his Facebook and have a squeaky clean appearance so that he can appear to be Republican without actually saying anything yeah. Republican-esque. Right.
0: And the guy's a, a rabid leftist who insults and attacks members of the community he disagrees with.
2: Surprise! Uh-huh.
0: So this guy says a bunch of things, pretty horrible things. And then she says some pretty horrible things. And then this guy, he takes a bunch of screenshots of the conversation that he has with Sanae Lund. Where they're threatening
1: to blackmail council members. Yeah, in order
0: to manage District 6 so that Lisa Wallace Wallace will get elected and so that Janice will get elected so that Sanea Lund will be able to kind of run the
1: table at the city council. She'll have a little cell. Mm Mm-hmm. So he takes pictures, uh, screenshots.
0: No, what she says is that she is going to keep two members of the community in the pocket and the mayor, she said that she had a photo of the mayor. This is what she said, taking two dicks while she was in college. And she was going to use that to blackmail the mayor into not endorsing any of the opposition. Now, that I'm aware of up to this point, especially during the primaries where it mattered the most, The mayor, point in fact, did not endorse anyone, including someone that she had known all of her life that was a pastor at the church that she was a pastor at, that she had a close personal relationship with, Matt Brown, and she still hadn't endorsed the guy. Like, I checked his page to see if she had. And so on the surface, it looks as if it worked. Now, here's the thing. She's like 60 years old or 70 years old. Patricia Byers. Patricia Byers. So if there is a photo, it's like black and white, And so I I think that this photo is a lie, but it means that in all likelihood Lund either has a doctored photo or is just threatening to have a photo in order to manipulate her because she doesn't want the drama because she knows that the Herald is dirty. So in these text conversations, um, it becomes clear that it's not just the mayor. It's like two other prominent members of the community, and they're kind of big deal. All right, so DCO takes the screenshots and he sends them off to somebody. And then that somebody winds up turning them over to somebody. And then it makes it into the public record because they send it to the city manager. The person that sends it to the city manager was one of the community members that was on the list of people being blackmailed. And she said, hey, I want this dealt with. So it was a matter of public record. Everybody knew about it for a protracted period of time. And yet the media wanted to pretend it didn't exist because she was a leftist. This is how this goes, folks. This is Yakima, a supposedly Republican county. And all of her friends are going to circle around her because as long as you're a socialist and not one of those evil Republicans, you can do whatever you want. Now, back on track here. Once this happened, this story was floating there for, I don't know, four or five months. And I knew about it. And people were trying to post it on Facebook trying to get the word out but they hadn't done the actual work where you make the public records request. This mm-hmm. is very telling, folks. They knew it was there, but they didn't want to bother making a public records request. So finally, this guy, this Nightflyer night character, I'm assuming had been through my small group on small groups. I'm pretty sure he had. Took the eight and a half by 11 and said, hey, you should make a public records request to ask about Janice Dicio and so and so and so and so. And then he showed pictures. He said, these people are crooked and are trying to blackmail members of the community in order to take over the city council. So he hands this thing out, and it makes it onto social media, and KIT loses their minds. KIT is the 1280 allegedly conservative radio station in, in Yakima.
1: Oh, what if they conserved lately? Not much.
0: And what they said was that Jason White, a city councilman who shared this information on a social media account, was a bad person for sharing this. All it was saying was you should do a public records request. That's what it said. The city of Yakima gets overwhelmed by public records requests because of this little piece of paper that was handed out. And finally, it starts to emerge. In the meantime, KIT launches an attack, specifically a guy named Dave Edel, launches an attack against Jason White. And makes up a bunch of stuff that's just ludicrous. Jason White also posts an audio recording wherein Lund, remember the person that said that she had pictures of the mayor taking dicks and she was going to blackmail the mayor, said that she had to censor Jason White because there was an organization on the west side that was going to give a grant to Rod's House, which is a nonprofit that she sat on the board of, for $2.5 million only if Jason White was dealt with which is a form, again, of blackmail, and corruption. This is corruption, folks. So he shares an audio recording of that, which is lawful, like open and closed book. It is lawful to do that. KIT gets on and lies and says that he broke the law, and the Yakima Herald Republic lies and says he broke the law, and the Yakima Herald Republic publishes it online, and when people started sharing the texts... Images, because by now it was getting out in the public because the public records requests were starting to get filled. The Yakima Herald Republic was deleting every time that it was shared to their Facebook post that somebody shared a photo of the text where she says, I'm blackmailing the mayor. The Yakima Herald Republic would delete and then block the person who shared that on their social media post. And then they wound up turning off all the comments in order to prevent, prevent Yakima from knowing about the corruption because they had to take out Jason White, who was a libertarian. That's all. In the meantime, KIT, you remember the conservative talk radio station, they do a bunch of hit pieces, lie about Jason White. I mean, bald-faced, I mean, ludicrous lies. And they do several pieces on this. Well, this ticks off this guy, who, again, this Night, guy, the Night, Night Flyer. flyer. Guy. This Night flyer guy gets annoyed, and he says, I'm not going to take this anymore. And he writes a very fiery flyer.
1: Very scathing. Yeah,
0: about the KIT host named Dave who has, as the Nightflyer put it, a hate fetish for Jason White and calls him out for giving a Cush interview to Lund where he never challenges her about the blackmail and then allows her to run her mouth about Jason White saying that Jason White threatened her and did a bunch of stuff to her that he, it's now coming out that she lied. And it was a, it was a transparent lie, but... KIT did not want to challenge her about anything because they wanted the lie to be true. So KIT is sitting there and I have a reputation in the community now as a...
1: Firebrand? Uh, yeah, a problem.
0: And, and the communists... Hot yeah, the communists and the Marxists really hate my guts. Really hate my guts.
1: Some of the Christians too.
0: Yeah, and some of the well, communists and socialists really hate my guts. <laughs> what I found interesting is one of them, my city council representative, I, sus- I strongly suspect, went to him. He, she was at a city council meeting. She had the flyers in like a little manila folder. And she said, I'm going to go tell David's Jared. So I'm assuming that, that this is how this went down. I'm not 100% sure on this. But it looks that way. It's indicative of that. Now, I suspect very strongly that um, there's a lot more involved here that I'm not seeing, okay? So I don't know all the details on this. But all I know is that on a Facebook page, which is mostly neglected on my part, I admit, this guy Dave, Dave Edel from 1280KIT, jumps on, and he does the old
1: accusation thing. Accusation thing. insinuation. Yeah, accusation insinuation. So Hey, I heard that you're the Nightflyer. Yeah,
0: hey, I heard you. And I, I would like you to come on my show to discuss the allegations and hear your grievances to hear your grievances against me and, and all this stuff to bring me on the show. And I'm like, (laughs) uh,
1: tempting.
0: No. Well, you know, first off, I don't want the night flyer guy mad at me by pretending to be him. So I'm not going to do that, but I didn't put it that way. It just so happens that for that entire month, I'm not available during the hours of his show for any fucking interview. But more importantly, I said, I'm not the guy. Like, I'm not your guy. And if you want to get together and get a cup of coffee for it sometime, I'd appreciate that. Also, it's possible that your sources are,
1: you know, misleading mistaken. you. They're, yeah. they're trying to embroil us in a feud or yeah. some nonsense. Yeah,
0: and This is what this looks like to me. So he promptly jumps on while I'm at work and doubles down. Keep in mind that this radio host had never met me in his life. He had no idea what I looked like. Never talked to me. Never bothered that I'm aware of. He says, I recognized you in a video. And, you know, he's doing all of this on a public forum. He ignored the invitation to coffee. He ignored a private message. He, you know, he didn't do anything. He was deliberately trying to paint me as a a liar, was what it was. And I know how media types do this. Trust me, this was not a mistake. This guy knows exactly what he's doing. This is called propaganda.
1: So he doubles down first. Well, you know, we've got video. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it looks like you, but if it's not you, then no worries. And so he doubles down on the insinuation and then backs away from it. So he's not, you're definitely the guy. He's like, mm-hmm. hey, here's proof that it's your, you're the guy, but okay, if you want to lie about it, that's fine. I'll let you go. I'll let you off the hook. I'm very gracious. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay.
0: Well, I wasn't going to let him do that. The come on hot public accusation on two different occasions ignoring the invitation to actually have a serious conversation to get to the bottom of things if he's truly concerned. And then he attempted to get me to out my list of people who had been through small group on small groups. I mean, he didn't put it that way, but that's what it would have boiled down to. Well, I taught a book called Dedication and Leadership. This looks like something in dedication and leadership. Okay, well, who all went through? Well, I'm not going to tell you that. Like, eh. this is none of your business. You're Take old, a flying leap, dude. You're 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 corrupt. You know, you're a crooked old... Geezer, and you get to do what you do on your radio show without getting sued, so congratulations for that. You get to write opinion pieces, and you everybody gets to do that, including the guy that writes the night flyer who rips you for being duplicious and for willfully misleading Yakima. He gets to do that, too. But I didn't say that. What I said instead was I had a series of questions that were equally insinuating, and then I turned him over to the Internet And I said, Dear Internet, sick him.
1: Get him, boys.
0: And they did. Now, we got him. He is something of a megalomaniac. So, as a result, he has to have the last word in. You know, the last word has to be like if somebody posts a meme, he has to respond every single time. And all this is doing is kind of presenting more evidence of his foolishness. And I'm sitting there kind of going, wow, whoever this Nightflyer guy is or girl, you win. It's an eight and a half by 11 printer somewhere. Like but this guy's not even using a print shop. You can tell by the look.
1: Yeah, it, it looked homemade. Uh, <laughs> I was super homemade. The, yeah. the one that I saw a screenshot of, I was, it, I was embarrassed. I got, a, I got a screenshot of one. Do, do you know anything about this? Uh, nope. Okay, because last time I got something like this, it came from Jared. Yeah, yeah, that's, which, I mean, I've helped you on the Rain Shadow Report, Yeah. and I I felt a little bit aggrieved, honestly. Hey, the the Rain Shadow Report is way better quality than this. (laughs) I mean, we have some typos, it doesn't always look right, but come on, it's not a need and anyway, so, I I was, I was personally offended for you. You know, if we give you propaganda, you'll know it. Yeah. (laughs) It'll have our names on it.
0: But, but but the thing is, is even this little thing, because there is nobody standing up to the establishment, mm-hmm. the gatekeepers, Yeah, it really just jerks them around. Like, it really turns their head around. And now they have to falsely accuse members of the community and do great and grievous damage to their own reputation in the process in order to try to find a way to shut it up because they can't even handle that.
1: And that's been one of the most encouraging scenes for me from the from 2020 into 2021. One of the most encouraging things about the political climate is the fact that people are discounting right off the bat the authorities because the authorities are lying through both sides of their mouth. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, we all know that... Newsweek is unreliable. They'll just print whatever they want. We know that the Washington Post is owned by Jeff Bezos, and it's his personal blog. It's just... (laughs) I mean, the article that I think highlights this the best is one that was written by somebody or other who said, here's why we shouldn't tax the (laughs) (laughs) ultra-rich. What I have enjoyed is seeing the shift from if it's in print, it's true, to I distrust CNN to the extent that if they say that the sky is blue, I don't go and check the color of the sky, I wonder what, what, why they want me to look at the sky right now, because clearly they're misdirecting me away from the sky. Yeah. And so everything that CNN posts now is clearly just trying to direct away from something else going on. Yeah. And so what I've loved is, as we understand how corrupt these people are, this, these Dave Edels, this Yakima Herald Republic, as that's becoming more and more clear, yeah, the Night Flyer is, I wouldn't qualify that as stellar journalism an eight, 8 and a half by 11 printed in somebody's basement or something. Yeah. But it's a pushback against the establishment, and I'm looking forward to the time when everyone is, hey, wait, I can I can mouth off too.
0: Because they can't cancel everybody.
1: Yes, and as crappy as the Night Flyer is, it is equally as legitimate as 1280KIT and the Herald Republic. They're,
0: yes, that's the thing that I wish I could communicate with people. Like, there was one gargantuan op-ed piece where Dave Etel did a giant breakdown and and quote-unquote rebuttal of
1: the night, the night
0: Flyer's latest flyer which targeted Dave Etel. Not surprisingly, he took that to heart. Aww. It was an absurd little rant. I mean, if somebody had posted it on Facebook, no one would have even noticed. Blinked. Yeah, it would have been okay. But because he printed it on, on an 85 by 11 this is like making me laugh, because he took what amounts to a a Facebook rant and put it on an eight and a half by 11 with a couple of lousy graphics of Dave Edel in a clown suit because he did that 1280 is writing stories about him. And, and when it comes to the issue of propaganda, when it comes to the issue of presenting your worldview in print, you have to engage the enemy. You have to engage the enemy. You have to actually get out there and print. And I I know there's a lot of ways. There isn't any single one way, but when I'm talking about dedication and leadership and he says but the printed word and the speaking word and discs and DVDs, discs and DVDs, this is what this is. This, this is a podcast. It's the disc and DVDs element. Printing, there's an element for that. And then public speaking. You can put yourself in position where you have a crowd of people that you're talking to. It's not hard. Be bold. Anyway, I, I wanted to communicate to people that these elements are fundamental to a successful campaign. I hope that you start doing them. I hope you start doing them. Do them. Now I have a little aside. It's fun, guys. (laughs) It's fun to play offense because our enemies have never encountered it before, especially when you start to move into media. Republicans don't print news magazines to hand them out their community like they don't do that they complain about media that's their gig Mm -hmm. rush limbaugh it's probably one of the most powerful media figures until recently he died he could only talk about what newspapers and, and news television was researching and producing as news he could only comment on other people's work he couldn't he never did any actual Investigative journalism that I'm
1: aware of. Himself, he wrote a couple of books. He wrote books, yes. He did write books.
0: So when the story is hot, like nobody's doing the research, this was why every single news media company turned their back on election fraud. That's amazing. Yeah, if the shoe was on the other foot, if it was the other party, they wouldn't be doing this.
1: Oh no, they just make it up. <laughs> if the, when the shoe was on the other. Foot, They made yeah. up huge volumes of election right. How fraud. The
0: Russians did, the Russians this and the Russians that. Russians everywhere. They hacked it. They hacked it. They hacked it. And it turns out the Chinese actually hacked it.
1: In favor of the Democrats. In favor of the
0: Democrats. And the media is like, most secure election in history. Uh-huh. And I'm like, guys, we have, we have low-hanging fruit on this. The communists see the opportunity in this. And the opportunity is staggering because when no one will tell the truth you step up and you start telling the truth everyone respects you you get instant street cred because it takes courage and people admire courageous people they can't help themselves Some people call it network, networking. Net, networking.
1: No one calls it networking, <laughs> but they should. What are we drinking tonight? We've got Sandeman. Fine, tawny port. There are listeners who struggle with alcoholism that are, you know, right now they're cursing your name, and I'm one of them. <sighs> I struggle with alcoholism. I, I'm not an alcoholic, but I want to be. And I keep trying to become addicted to alcohol and it's it's just it's really hard. It's not funny, Dan, it's not a joking matter. Anything can be a joking matter if you don't care about hate mail. <laughs>